So the guest I have on today is Kelsey Cathcart. She is a second year student at Northeastern State University in Muskogee. Did I say that right? Muskogee. M- yes, Muskogee. Muskogee, Oklahoma. And she received her undergraduate degree in psychology from Rogers State University, which took her around six years due to finances, future planning, and battling an autoimmune disease. Now at 29 years old, she is enjoying her time as a student, wife, and mother. So those are her occupational therapy roles. Welcome to the show, Kelsey. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Jeff? Doing pretty great. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, so you have a really unique experience uh, with one of your health management conditions that we're going to talk about a little bit about more in the podcast. But just to start things off, tell me a bit about yourself and how did you actually find occupational therapy? So it was kind of um, maybe an untraditional way of finding it. I was going through school. I think I was in maybe my junior year of undergrad and I had switched majors a thousand times. I mean, everything from teaching to art, which I'm not an artist. I don't know why I picked that. Nursing, just everything. And I just couldn't find something I was really passionate about. And I remember walking to class one day, very randomly with a friend of mine, Jamie, and she mentioned something about like, oh, I might be interested in occupational therapy. And I was like, what is that? And she kind of described it to me a little bit. And I was just like, interesting. I've never heard of that, but okay. So then I just happened to look more into it. And I was like, okay, this sounds really interesting. And then we also had to do two internships for undergrad. And so one of mine I did in like a pediatric outpatient. And I was just blown away by it. I was like, this is fascinating. I love everything about it. And that's what kind of sparked my interest of going down that road. Cool. So do you still have interest in pediatrics now that you're in OT school? I do. I still love pediatrics. I love kids. Um, My first job after graduating from undergrad was at a childcare development center. And so I was a master teacher at essentially like a daycare, but it was a very, we'll call it a very bougie daycare. Like there were all kinds of teaching plans and we had them um, plant gardens to grow organic vegetables so they could eat it because we had a chef there. So it was very cool, very high scale, but I loved working with the kids and I still love kids today. So that's really cool. You mentioned that we were looking into daycares and that was like one of the cool sticking points that they feature is like growing the organic garden and stuff. So like these days, that's like, it may sound really like bougie or whatever, but it's like, that's kind of cool. Like, you know, and it teaches yeah. like kids so many cool skills that, you know, that no, no matter where you live, whether you're like urban or suburban, like that are pretty cool for life skills. Oh, yeah, I agree. It was very cool to see the kids, you know, be able to grow something and then just like pick a tomato off the vine and eat it right there. They were blown away by it. I was blown away by it. So it was really fun. Yeah, yeah. That's like so OT too. Yes, it is. So many of our listeners, they're interested in becoming occupational therapy practitioners, you know, and students. And so everybody has their own journey. But what was yours like in getting ready for OT school and preparing and all that stuff? So it was very unique in that I knew upon graduation that that's what I wanted to do. I'm like, okay, I've researched some programs, some in-state, some out-of-state. And I was like, okay, I've got to start getting all of my prereqs done, which kind of varied from school to school. So while I was working as a master teacher at the child care center, I was also doing prereqs just kind of casually. And then I got married 
and me and my husband went on a honeymoon and I was told that I couldn't have children, but we ended up being pregnant. And so that was, you know, a miracle in itself. It was super exciting, although very unexpected. So from there, I was like, you know, I think I can still do it. I'm still going to try and, you know, be a mother. I'm still trying to get to the program that I'm aiming for, maybe just not the out-of-state ones. So I continued on that path and I applied and you had to send off all this information in a big package. And whenever I sent it off, I went into labor. And when I basically came back from the hospital, my package was back to me because of insufficient postage. So I missed the deadline and didn't get to get in with that one. So I was just kind of like, maybe this is a sign that this isn't right for me right now, which I really took it that way. I was like, this isn't the right timing. I have a newborn. I don't know what I'm doing as a first time mom. (laughs) So it was crazy. I did end up trying to go to school to become a BCBA. Mm -hmm. I was like, kind of just did research, like what is maybe similar to OT where I could maybe work with pediatrics, still use my psych degree that I had had. And I think I made it maybe a quarter of the way through the program and was just very upset. I was like, I want to do OT. I, this is not (laughs) OT. Like it's, got its similarities, but it's not the same thing. And so I did end up quitting that program. I was like, I'm just going to reapply. And I did. And I got an interview and I got in on my first try. So for our listeners out there, what is BCBA? And like, what are some similarities and differences? So a BCBA is essentially a behavior analyst. And a lot of times they work with children on the autism spectrum. That's the main diagnosis that you will see. And they have RBTs that work underneath them. And so they kind of, they would be like the CODAs for us. So they do a lot of the hands-on working with the kids to address behaviors. And the BCBAs would like basically write the treatment plans for them. And so um, as an RBT, you're kind of working with a child on their maladaptive behaviors. So um, you work with maybe a kid with autism on stimming and maybe lessening the severity of that. Or sometimes if they have violent behaviors, you want to try and eradicate those a little bit, mostly so that they can live more of a normal life, which has some controversy, a lot of controversy, actually. A lot of controversy. Yes. That was part of the reason why I kind of felt a little, not upset, but it wasn't what I thought it was. So I don't really want to hinder a child's uniqueness. I want to embrace it. And I think that's very OT of me. And mm-hmm. so I still value what BCBAs and RBTs do. It's come a long ways. I yeah. just think it has to be um, taken seriously and in the right context for it to be very effective. It's definitely something that is like kind of like different too from OT, which is probably why I saw you kind of switch over because it's not very, I say the difference is probably not very client-centered, I guess one way I could put it, yeah. in terms of the child who is autistic, who is what we call now like neurodivergent, right? In celebrating mm-hmm. their unique differences, whereas the kind of like focus, like there are benefits to it, is probably taking a little bit away from that and more like family, probably parent caregiver centered. So... That is, while it has its strengths and stuff, it's now we're kind of seeing in the research, and I've actually just read an article about it yesterday, I'm probably going to make a video about it, is like, how are like these kids who are autistic now are adults, like, what are their kind of thoughts on how they were, like, treated in the program, essentially, you know, so it's very, very yeah. controversial. It is very controversial. It's interesting, but... 
Um, everybody kind of just has to do their own research and come to their own conclusions. I know those in the autistic community have their own voices on it and they definitely need to be heard. So, yeah. And there's some podcasts on that too. So definitely mm-hmm. check that out if you're interested in that topic. In terms of your condition, so can you tell me a little bit about your health management? If you don't mind sharing, I think mm-hmm. you seem to be pretty open about it. And yes. how did it affect your application process? And then we'll talk a little bit more about school. Yeah, I'm a pretty open book when it comes to Crohn's disease, which I got officially diagnosed with in 2016. I had been suffering from it before that. I actually... I remember I was having stomach pain, maybe my freshman and sophomore years of undergrad. I went to our on-campus doctor because, you know, I was poor. I needed that free health care. <laughs> and she was just kind of like, you know, I think it's a stress ulcer. You're just very stressed. And so that's I kind of took her word, word for it. I was like, I'm stressed. That's all it is. Not a big deal. I'll change my diet a little bit. And it just kind of continued very slowly getting worse. I didn't think much of it until I. it was actually like, maybe the day after Christmas in 2015. And I had the worst stomach pain I've ever felt in my entire life. It was so bad. I ended up going to the hospital. It was a very crazy hospital visit. It was my first one. I was, you know, very young. And they were like, oh my gosh, your appendix has ruptured. We have to do surgery right away. And then someone else came in. They're like, no, that's not what's wrong with her. It's something else. So nobody Mm -hmm. knew. They're just like, you need to see a GI. And so then started all of the visits with the GI. I've had to get colonoscopies done. I've had to get endoscopies done. They're not fun, but (laughs) I ended up getting my diagnosis. And um, even though I had a diagnosis, we tried different treatments. I was on some injections that I had to do, Humira, and it never made me feel much better. I just kind of kept getting worse and worse to where I had to quit my job. I had to quit school with only three classes left to graduate, which was very upsetting. Um, because I couldn't work anymore. I couldn't afford my bills. So I had to move in with family members so that they could kind of help provide for me. It was just a a mess. It was awful. I was quite miserable. And finally, I think it was in August, I just was in so much pain one time. They're yet again rushing me to my like 10th hospital visit. And I finally decided to advocate for myself. I was like, listen, I'm not going home until you do something more permanent because I'm tired of this. And so they're like, okay, we're going to do surgery and just take out the inflamed part of your intestines. So they took out three feet of my intestines that were inflamed and essentially stitched back the healthy parts. Mm. And ever since then, I've pretty much been in remission. I have flare-ups due to stress and certain foods, but it's not as bad as it used to be. Wow. Sounds like it had like a really large disruption prior to your procedure, like of your life, like you had to basically put it on hold due to the pain. Yes, it was horrible. And I actually have a very similar story. I had diverticulosis, Mm. nearlitis, and you know, I kind of went through the same thing. They're like, oh, I was wondering if my appendix ruptured. I was like, kind of like the differential and did like some workup. I probably didn't have to do as much as you, but you know, went through all the sucky stuff too. And like, yeah, like stomach pain is no joke. Like abdominal mm-hmm. pain. It's like, wow. It yeah. really stops you in your tracks. It does. And people, I don't think really understand whenever I would say, yeah, I can't make it because I'm, <laughs> my stomach hurts. That sounds like such a lame excuse, but it was so bad. Like, on a scale of one to 10, easily a 10. I've obviously gone through childbirth and that stomach pain was way worse than contractions. So it was wow. bad. 
Yeah, that's what I hear about like other conditions too, like IBD, diverticulosis, and like mm-hmm. I, I obviously never. But my wife has similar kind of condition, and she, I think she it was said it was pretty up there too. So definitely, if you're feeling symptoms, go get it checked out. You know, but with that said, I think there is a connection to stress too and pain. Like what those of you who don't know, stress has a pretty good deep connection to our physiology, our cognitive. Like main takeaway, I guess, is just like try and control your stress because it can make things like pain, your condition worse, just your overall health. So stress is no joke either. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. That is my main trigger these days, which is kind of contradictory to being in grad school. I'm obviously stressed a lot, but knowing how to control it and calm myself down just goes a long ways. Because mm-hmm, it can be a potential trigger in addition mm-hmm. to things like food. Right? Yes, so would you say that your condition is pretty well managed now? Like getting that procedure was pretty life-changing for you? Or like maybe there are some of the things that our listeners should know about like the management about and some of the options. What are some of the options out there actually? So yeah, I'm managing very well right now. Um, whenever I'm starting to have a flare-up as they would call it, I just kind of take it a day at a time. I do, you know, some light pain medication, maybe some Tylenol here and there. I utilize a heating pack quite a lot. It's like my favorite thing. It's constantly plugged in. I love my heating pack. And then just really using those like coping mechanisms to help calm my stress down and then just take it easy. Like day after day, I like who cares that I'm in bed watching TV? My body is relaxing. I'm de-stressing and that's what I need. And I think that's something that everybody should kind of keep in mind if they're having these symptoms. And there's a lot of different symptoms that go into Crohn's. So it really is like (laughs) hard to diagnose. Everything looks different. What I had was different than someone else. Like I also had a lot of like vomiting that came with it. So I couldn't keep food down at all. Um, But so you have to learn just different tricks that work for you, like the best nausea remedies and maybe different teas that you can adjust that kind of help with things like that. But um as far as the condition itself, like I said, it's really hard to diagnose. But if you're feeling those symptoms and you think it could be something serious, like you've got to advocate for yourself. I think that's huge, especially with like managing your health. Advocation, like you yeah. know your body, you know if something feels off. And of course, they could run a thousand tests and say that there's nothing wrong with you. But you've got to maybe find a different doctor. You've got to find someone that really listens to you and like be specific on what symptoms you're telling them. Especially if it's like a really sudden onset of these symptoms, like there's no real like rhyme or reason for it. Like you weren't doing something unusual, like, you know, you didn't have like trauma, basically. And so, yeah, you know your body best. That's a really good point. Mm -hmm. And you should trust yourself. Yes, I absolutely agree with that. So to our listeners out there, you know, they're trying to get into an OT program. So how did you juggle all of this, especially like a newborn? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Yeah, it was a lot. Um, Obviously, any kind of schooling is just not easy. I don't, it's not like my goal to just be in school forever. Although at this point, that's kind of what it (laughs) seems like. But I do know what I want. And I'm very passionate about what I want. And I think that's a big part is like, discover your why and kind of have that stick with you and keep reminding yourself of your why you're doing this. Mm-hmm. And especially when, you know, battling an autoimmune disease where you don't feel well a lot of the time and there's a lot of fatigue that comes with it. And then also a lot of fatigue that comes with being a new mom. I think a lot of it is just trial and error. Like you can 
I used to watch YouTube videos of maybe a day in the life of a OT student or day in the life of a mom, but they don't really merge that often, which was kind of unfortunate for me because I wanted to learn how to balance and what techniques and study, you know, tips I could utilize. And there really wasn't a combination of that. And there still really isn't, but I kind of just did what I could, learned from my mistakes, and I'm still going strong. I mean, I've learned that like I can't be at home with my family studying. It's a very big distraction for me. So I do a lot of my studying and homework on the weekends when my husband's at home. He can watch our child while I go to a coffee shop. And that's where I get a bulk of my work done, a bulk of my studying done, because I just can't have the dishes and the laundry sitting here taunting me. No, not the same. Like, I do some work at home, but whenever my wife's home or my kid is like awake, basically, it's like I cannot get anything done. And I know I can't. And yeah. I'm kind of like working in the background, but knowing your like own situation, I guess, and your unique circumstances can be very helpful. And there's no straight answer to like a checklist or something because your situation could be very well different based on. Yeah. Yeah. It's right. so true. And I think especially as a student or if you're doing a job from home, you have to give yourself a lot of grace and understand that like it's not going to look picture perfect. And even from an OT stance, like... I know my kids should not be sitting in front of a screen all day, but like sometimes, you know, I've got a big assignment coming up. I've got to get some work done. And sometimes I'm like, let's see what we can turn on educational for you. I just need an hour of peace and quiet. And you've got to do what you got to do. Like no mom yeah. shaming, no parent shaming. Like you just try to survive at this point. Like you've got to get your work done. It's not like your kid is going to be harmed by sitting in front of the TV for an hour. It's not going to kill them. Right. Like you're still a great parent, even if you utilize some of those things that you don't really want to. Yeah, I definitely feel like guilty sometimes. And that's why I like try to stay away from like the social media and all that stuff. Like I don't even have like TikTok installed, but like I feel guilty when I put them in front of a screen and it's like, it's not like black and white. It's like, what is your kid doing in front of the screen? Is it yeah. educational? If they're learning about colors, which is what I'm trying to teach my kiddo right now, it's the same thing I'd be teaching him. Probably a better job. And, you know, so <laughs> then it doesn't really, you shouldn't be like feeling guilty about it, you know? So yeah. you parents out there, if it's screen time, maybe you're not taking them out to play or they're in this program or that. It's like, you're doing your best, you know? And if you're trying to be in a program or apply program in apply to a program or you're currently in a program it's like give and take a lot of balancing act really yeah it really is just give yourself grace that's all i can say what would you say is the role of the social support and how can it be helpful or even hinder your you know goals of being an ot practitioner yeah so I have a village and they are incredible i do i would not be able to do school without them especially because Childcare here is very one limited. Like I have my daughter on some waiting lists and they, she's been on those lists for two years and never gotten a call. She's still like 10th on those lists. So she's Same. not getting in anytime soon. Not only that, yeah. but they're just so expensive. They're like, you know, a thousand dollars a month. And as a grad student, we are living off of just my husband's income right now. So finances are very tight and yeah. I can't really afford to be sending her to a five day a week daycare, especially when I'm only in school for three days a week. So we really utilize our, my mother-in-law and my mom and they help watch her during the week while I'm at school. And that's just been huge. I also have 
friends that are down to watch her whenever my friends and my family are just so supportive of me. They know this is what I want to do. Most of them are like, yeah, this career is built for you, Kelsey. And so they're <laughs> down to help me with just whatever I need. I absolutely love my village. I could not do it without them. And I think that's huge. You have to have that social support, especially if you're going to reach some of these larger goals in your life. Yeah. And it isn't just for like childcare, being a mom or dad. It's just like overall goals and happiness and everything, which Absolutely. these days is so hard. I find like for the current generation, what they like the distractions basically with technology and stuff. It's it seems definitely different in terms of like making friends. It's come to find, even as an adult. Yeah, <laughs> it can be think? really hard as an adult, especially to make those quality relationships. I feel like because I've had to be a stay-at-home mom for just a very short amount of time. But in that time, man, I felt so isolated. And I kind of felt like my job as being a mom didn't really matter because I wasn't bringing in an income. And I just didn't feel like I was doing anything productive, although I was keeping my child alive, which is huge. But it mm -hmm. really can be very lonely. And to that, I say, if, you know, if there's a mom listening that feels that way or a you know, stay at home dad that feels that way, really utilize the free resources that are out there because there are, you know, free play date get together groups and those parents yeah. are going to feel the same way that you do. And then you're going to make those connections and you might find your village that way. Like, hey, we can trade babysitting services to each other so we can have date mm -hmm. nights. So just really researching those free resources and utilizing them would be huge. No, that's a really good uh, tip out there. There's like usually a no matter where you live, like some type of program that's like free mm -hmm. or some community or club, even like the library, they have like, you know, uh, what yeah. do you call them? Like reading sessions and stuff for like kiddos. So it's really, really cool. You just got to know where to look. Go on like Facebook or wherever, do a Google search, talk to you, like your friends. Yes. Especially if you're a mom or, you know, the things you probably don't even know and you can share knowledge. Yeah, I agree. How about for dads out there? What do you, do you have any tips for dads out there if, based on your experience? <laughs> Yeah. Well, it kind of depends on their situation. Like mine, my husband is our main source of income right now. So he's the one that's like away all the time. And I know that can be hard on him because he would also like to spend this time with our daughter. She's growing up, but he has to miss out on a lot, which I just so appreciate him doing this for me. He knows that it's what I want to do. And he's been so supportive of it. But I feel like no matter what role you're in, just kind of like embrace the little moments and enjoy your time together as a family because especially if you have kids it's not going to last long they grow up so extremely fast and you just kind of want to really just embrace those moments like go on little outings together nothing has to cost money either because we're we're finances are tight so going yeah. for a walk together and just really getting to spend quality family time together makes a huge difference in every family member's life, including your kid's life. And it's something that they'll remember. So I feel yeah. like for the dads out there, I mean, I know there's a stigma of moms may mostly doing a lot of the child rearing and whatnot, but the dads play yeah. a huge role in that as well. My, we wouldn't be anywhere without my daughter's father. He's just incredible. And he teaches her a lot of life, life lessons. He gives her a lot of extra love that sometimes I can't give because I'm overstimulated or overworked. So whenever I'm feeling really burnt out, he's able to step in and kind of, we have a balancing act and it works really well for us. Yeah. And we all have different personalities too, you know, regardless of your role or your gender, you just have something different to offer, whether it be like a kid, 
someone you're mentoring, you know, whatever the relationship, it's like, just give it a try, you know, and don't let the, like, the stigma and the social media and all those things get to yeah, you. Yeah, I agree with that. So if you mentioned you're going to be in school forever. So I want to talk about <laughs> one of the things I think you wanted to talk about was like your age, right, in your cohort. So for our listeners out there, is it ever too late to go back to school? And is it like kind of should something like your age or your prior current situation keep you from going to school and maybe living your dreams and achieving those dreams of becoming an occupational therapist? No, I think whatever you want to do, no matter what point you are in your life, you should just go for it because you only have one life. Like, why would you want to spend it not doing what you want to do? Life is so short. And it was intimidating to be going back to school. And I'm not even that old. I'm 29. But I am the oldest in my cohort. And I'm the only one right now that has a child. And so things for me do look a lot different than for them. And I kind of thought going into it, I'm like, wow, I'm just going to be this old grandma that's not going to have anything in common with anybody. And it's just not true. I love my cohort. I love everybody in my cohort. I've made some incredible friends. And one of my best friends in the cohort is like the youngest one in the class. She's only, she just turned (laughs) 23. So we've got an age gap, but she's very mature and we get along great. So it doesn't matter the age gap really. Like we still have fine find common ground on things. And um, I actually think it's been very beneficial for me to go back to school later, because I think having had all these trials and tribulations in my life, I just maybe appreciate it a lot more. And knowing that like, I'm paying for my schooling, this is what I want to do. I've it's taken almost 30 years for me to discover that this is where I want to be. And so I really give everything my all like I don't I don't halfway do anything at this point. You know, I'm very proud that I have a 4.0 GPA. I'm still working towards that, but it's been a lot of hard work, but you know, I think putting in that hard work is worth it. You learn so much more, you get more out of it. So I just think me being older gives me that perspective of having lived, you know, a longer life and had different experiences. Yeah. I definitely agree. I was probably in the same similar situation. One being a guy, but a little bit older. It's just like different appreciation, I think, for school and like the things you bring and your experiences. Like, I think you learn actually much better just based on your life experience. And like you have a different kind of approach in like skill set, too, when it comes to school and tackling things like exams and whatever it may be. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So I think if I were to be in the program at like maybe when I was 23 or 24, I would not be doing as well. I would not be learning as well. I wouldn't be kind of developing the skills that I am right now. I just think my perspective on things and the way I'm able to like use clinical reasoning and clinical judgment to get to certain answers just looks a lot different than some of my classmates, but I think it works for me. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm proud of it. <laughs> so on the subject of school, well, where are you at right now in terms of like your studies and what, what is your primary kind of like challenge in terms of school right now, if there is one? So there's definitely <laughs> challenges every semester. The last semester we just had, um, was the most challenging that I've ever had in my life. It was extremely hard. We were learning on 
um, practical application of doing transfers and bed mobility and range of motion, manual muscle testing. And we had to like perform it in front of our professor, which was very daunting, but we all made it out alive. So that was hard. This semester (laughs) is a little easier in terms of the course load. Um, It's still challenging material, but it seems that I don't know. We've all kind of found our groove. So it seems a little easier in Mm. that sense. Right now we are learning about, we just finished a psychosocial class. We are starting our very first pediatric class. So I'm so excited about that because I've been looking forward to pediatrics. And then we've got a research class and um, physical disabilities. We are about to do our very first field work in April. I've gotten assigned to a skilled nursing facility So I'm just excited to finally get to be in the field, you know, doing and seeing some things in real life. So I know my entire cohort is very excited about it. Uh, They are keeping you guys very busy. Those are like (laughs) all very different things, you know, from research to starting pediatrics to we did the adults part. It's interesting that it's kind of like backwards. Yeah. So my cohort right now is actually the last one to go through it in this way. So after us, it's going to be different. There, We are actually the only cohort on campus right now because they have revamped the curriculum and classes are going to be different. Right now we are in, my cohort is in a two-year, eight-month program, but it is now cut down to just a standard two-year program. And so things are going to be very different for the next group that comes in. Their classes, the flow of it, everything's just going to, there's an overhaul. So we're the last ones to experience it this way, Um, which, you know, could be a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know. But so far, I'm loving my journey and I love the program that I'm in, honestly. Awesome. Yeah, sounds like it's going really, really well. And you're learning a lot of information. Yes, so much information. There's times where I'm like, am I becoming an OT? Am I learning anything? Like, I just don't feel different. But then there's certain things that arise. And I'll have a friend ask me a question about a family member that's experienced in something. I'm like, Oh, yeah, I think it could be this. And you're able to whip out this information. You're like, wow, I've really learned something. This is so cool. So I think the second year in your program, it kind of really hits you like, yeah, I am going to be an OT sooner rather than later. Mm hmm. So in talking to some of my previous guests, um, one of the topics that comes up is burnout. And I remember talking to one person, they said they were feeling some of that burnout in OT school. So in your experience, has there been some burnout? How about among your cohort and what are some kind of insights, nuggets from that topic? Yeah. So there's definitely been burnout for everybody, I would imagine. I can't think of any person in my cohort that probably hasn't experienced it. Right now I'm on spring break, which I think having these little breaks within are huge. We It was something we got to look forward to. And now I'm on spring break. I get to get a bunch of stuff done, relax a little bit, and then, you know, hopefully come back and be a little more refreshed. And we do get some larger breaks in between as well. And so I think those breaks are something that are needed and really looked forward to. But then also just trying to maintain that balance is huge. I know that in the first semester, myself, but a bunch of other students as well, were just constantly studying. And yes, the material was difficult, but you ca- it can't be your life. If it becomes your life, you're going to get burnt out 
even sooner. So you've got to kind of schedule your time and make sure you're putting in that you time, putting in that self-care, doing what you want, because why would we be going to school to promote occupations if we're not engaging in our own occupations? So I just think that's something important to remember if you're going into an OT program. Like you want people to engage in that, so you need to engage in it yourself. So I've made sure to really try and balance my time between obviously my family and being a mom, which takes up a good chunk, then also being a student and studying, but also making time for myself. I still go out with my girlfriends. We have brunch. I try to go to birthday parties and baby showers and stuff, which I enjoy, you know, getting to play games, read my books and all of that just refreshes me a little bit so I can move on to the next assignment or whatever it is I'm learning about. Yeah. It's definitely easy to lose sight of it because it can be our priority school. You know, I was in a very similar situation as a lot of these other students like yourself and your peers. It's like overstudying, you know, and then you can set yourself up for so much stress and disappointment if you like maybe you like score one point lower or whatever than you expected. So balancing act. Yes, I've and I've seen that a lot. I've seen it in my cohort. We have some very type A personalities. I am kind of one of them, but we have, you know, some people that are like, don't get that 100% and they're disappointed in themselves. And I think you have to give yourself grace. You have to realize that like, we are going to be practicing OTs. Like nobody's perfect. Not even the OTs that are already established. Like they are practicing. It's called a practice. Like nobody does it perfectly. And I think people need to remember that. Like we are not trying to learn it all right now. Our professors actually tell us that a bulk of what we learn and remember is actually like out on the jobs and in field work and practical application, not looking at a textbook and, you know, doing flashcards. That's not where all of the like real information comes from yeah and that can be like really really hard transition for anybody you know where it's like so different like stepping into like your first day of field work and stuff but i think my advice from having gone through it is just like to trust yourself and trust the process and on the other side of that seek support you know your mentors your professors your peers even doing your own research you know and whatever trusting your gut you know no pun intended for this episode, <laughs> you know, and just going with it. But at the same time, like if there are like things that maybe don't jive well with your ethics or something is a little off, you're overly stressed out. Don't be afraid to, you know, consider other options because, it's, you know, like there's this, I think, notion of like a dream job out there, you know, especially as an OT when you graduate. But a lot of people don't find that in their career right away. You know, it's not like people are dangling here's your dream job you know it's like you kind of have to work for it gain some experience and that is also part of the process too yeah yeah that's so great that's great to hear Uh, one of the things that we talked about leading up to the this podcast was nature-based therapy so can you tell me a little bit about what's nature-based therapy and how can it be beneficial for our clients out there yeah so it is an interest of mine mostly because i just enjoy being outside I've noticed the benefits of being outside in myself, along with my daughter. I know that there are times where she's three, by the way. So she is right in the middle of, you know, being a toddler. She's growing up. She throws tantrums. She gets overstimulated and it can be a lot. And I feel like when you take them outside, it's more calming. It's relaxing. There's actually research on like the benefits of like being in green spaces and how it can help with like just regulating your nervous system. And so I just think maybe promoting nature-based therapy and like, and what I mean by that is like, 
you can do your therapy sessions outside with, especially in pediatrics, because kids, I mean, they're going to follow your lead. So if you say, hey, we're going to go outside today to do therapy, they're going to be like, all right, let's do it. And there's so many things that you can do out there and not just bringing certain contraptions with you outside, but utilizing nature. So I did a research project in my first research class of over nature-based therapy. And we had to find, you know, a bunch of articles related to it and kind of drive it home. And for part of my presentation, I brought in nature-based therapy to the classroom and I essentially gathered a bunch of twigs and pine cones and rocks and <laughs> flowers and stuff and spread it out among my classmates and was like, all right, like you've got two minutes, let's see what you can do. And it was even, you know, there are a bunch of adults and it was fun to see them kind of how they were imaginative, how they came up with certain games to play and kind of role played with like, oh, here's my twig, but it's a wand or here's my little pine cone, but it's a tree and we made a forest. So I think utilizing that with kids especially is huge and, you know, stimulating that imagination and it's just so good for them. Yeah, it's so good for learning too. It's like there's so much to nature, you know, it's like endless really. Yes, that sensory input, you've got all the, the noise and it's like a calming noise. Like you've still got noise, but you've got birds that you can listen to. You might have the wind rustling something or water flowing and it's very calming instead of, you know, being inside listening to the TV all day or constantly listening to like harsh music or whatever. So you've just got all of this sensory input and it's very rich and that's how it helps the kiddos. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned that you brought the nature to the indoors. I recently read a story really quick about how a lot of researchers in like hospitals, right? They, for the patients, they're stuck in the hospital. So what they did was they printed out like photos of nature and then they split the groups into people who are exposed to like these photos versus like looking at a brick wall or just like blank wall or even abstract art. And they looked at the results in the people who had nature, not surprisingly, reported lower levels of pain. They didn't have to call the nurse as much. I don't know about the therapy, but I'm more than willing to bet that people who participated in therapy did much better compared to the other group who, which kind of makes sense. You're like looking at a wall, which is what we're all probably doing. We're surrounded by indoor walls and it's like such a big difference. So that goes to show how big of a therapeutic effect that nature can have, even something as simple as looking at like a picture of like nature. Yeah, that is fascinating. I love to hear that. One of the articles that I had found that I thought was really cool, and there weren't a ton that I found personally about like OTs in nature-based therapy, which there are some that specialize mm -hmm. in it and I like really admire them. But the articles that I found, a lot of them were about teaching in nature, which, you know, in a sense, we are teachers. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of gathered those as well. But one article specifically was talking about an experiment done and they give, I think it was maybe kindergartners and one of them was indoors and the other group they took outdoors. So like an outdoor classroom and just the benefits that they found from the kiddos outdoors were just amazing. Like they were their attention to task and they didn't have to be redirected as often, but they were still working on the same thing, but just like the balance of it all, like the kids outside had were so much more calm and regulated as opposed to the ones that were stuck indoors all day long yeah and you would you know think it might be the opposite like outdoor like wouldn't there be a lot of distraction yeah that might be in the case if you're in like an urban environment but if you're talking nature you know it's like you're hearing nature and like nature is calming overall in like unless there's like a 
wolf or a tiger, but you know, you wouldn't put your kiddos in that situation. It's like very therapeutic and you don't even have to do much. And there's so much, like, I think that I haven't really looked at it myself, but I'm looking more into the research now. And there's definitely like OTs out there and like social media who are doing it like with peds and like even adults. It's like so cool. Like they're playing games out there, like bowling and all that cool stuff. So yeah, wow. It's like creative. So creative. it's creative. And it's also, I feel like sustainable. I'm, I kind of have a hippie mindset. I love sustainability. I love, you know, the thought of going green. And I mean, a lot of the things that you have outdoors are just naturally occurring. Like if you use some of those items, they don't have to be recycled or thrown away. And then, yeah, I just think that sustainability is in OT is like an upcoming topic, but like driving your patients to be outside kind of goes hand in hand with that. Yeah. Even something when it comes to like what we choose for our sessions, like, you know, back in the day, it's probably a lot of like materials that are like, I don't know, like plasticky. But mm -hmm. like nowadays, it's like even when I'm like trying to buy toys for my kiddo, it's like I'm going to go for the yes. wood, you know, it's like more sustainable. It's like like not going to end up in like a landfill or the ocean. It's like I think OT has a really good potential out for kind of like driving this in terms of our therapy and how we not only like choose our sessions but from like what we do in our environment because you know we focus you know like peo model and envir environment mm -hmm. and our occupation just it's already out there like nature so i like that you, you talked about those points about nature and how it's like you don't even need to you, you brought the twigs in literally you know like that's your free like yeah. supply yeah it's very financially responsible like you've got free resources in front of you just utilize them you got to get creative as an ot let's talk about field work do you think you're prepared for it? And what are some of your tips for like some of the students who may be kind of freaking out about real work and what's like real life OT going to be like, you know? So I'm really looking forward to it. I will say that we had a paper and we got to rank what we wanted. Um, <laughs> skilled nursing wasn't high on my list, but I also haven't gotten to experience it. So I think getting myself in there and getting to see what it actually looks like will be very beneficial to me. And our professors are there to really challenge us. Like they want us to be uncomfortable. They want us to experience things that not everybody's going to. So I actually really like, I really value that they're kind of challenging us in that way. I am looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to seeing what the setting is like. I did we had to have shadowing hours to apply, but because mine was during COVID, there weren't many options like pediatric outpatient were allowing quite a few students but any other setting besides that really wasn't allowing anyone any outsiders to come in and shadow which you know understandably so so i didn't get a lot of um background and now going into field work i wish that i had i will say that something hmm. one of our professors dr estes i think this is incredible what she's doing but she obviously teaches but she also you know, works other places. And she got it to where students can come with her, like usually two at a time to basically shadow her and be hands on with her during the day. Mm -hmm. I got to do that. I think mm -hmm. it was two or three weeks ago at an LTAC. Fascinating. The first mm -hmm. time I've gotten to be in that environment at all. So I was just like, wow, this is crazy. This is so cool. I've never seen this before and getting to see her in progress, even documentation. And she was able to like explain why she put certain things and, I think getting out there for potential students, go shadow as much as you can everywhere that you can. Don't just do what you think you're interested in. Don't just do pediatrics. Like 
try and experience everything because you're not going to just learn about pediatrics in school. You're going to learn about all of it and all of it is going to be on your exam in the end as well. So I feel like True. having experience, gotten to go with my professor to her job and shadow her for a day makes me feel more at peace going to my very first field work ro rotation. And our first one is only a week long, but I'm not as nervous going in because I just kind of have a better expectation of, you know, what it's going to look like, kind of. What are some other things that you want to talk about that we haven't mentioned already? Like I mentioned before, it can be really daunting to go back to school. And I hope people, if anybody's listening to this and they're kind of on the edge of it, I hope people understand that, like, you can do it. There are ways around it. You've kind of got to find that support group and kind of cling to them. And I think as a mom and a student, something really huge that, I've learned about myself that I've learned to do that I don't see a lot of other people doing is that ask for help and people don't like to do that. It can be very uncomfortable, but like know your limits, kind of like reflect on yourself. And if you're feeling burnt out, if you're like, I know I've got something important coming up, like I'm, I can't do it by myself. Just realize that and ask for help and accept the help. People are usually willing to lend a hand and you have to be willing to take that as well. Like I don't have, it does not bother me one bit to be like, you know what? I'm stressed out. Like someone needs to take my kid for the day. Please, please take her so that I can recenter, get my own stuff done. And then I can be a better mom after that. I can be a better person. Even same thing being a student, like I just need someone to watch her so I can get quality studying in. And I think you've got to realize that you've got to ask for help sometimes. And there's nothing wrong with that. It'll just make you a better person for it, honestly. Yeah, yeah, that's a really, really good point. So now it's time for our end of the session where we ask you lightning questions. So are you ready for these quick questions and quick responses for uh, Yes, I'm ready. Number one, you should not have a problem with this. How would you describe OT to like a stranger on the street? Okay, so I've had to do this a lot with my family because they don't know what OT is. And I basically tell them mm. that it's a type of therapy that works with people across the lifespan from birth to death. And we help them get back to doing what they want and need to do. So we can help them be independent in certain areas of their life just to increase their quality of life overall. That's my elevator pitch. Oh, I love that. I love that quality of life part because it's how you perceive it and it's different for yes, everybody. That's my favorite part of OT is like improving quality of life. And what is your own personal favorite occupation? So I love some leisure time. My favorite thing to do, if I could do it all day, every day for the rest of my life, I just want to travel. I literally just <laughs> want to travel anywhere and everywhere. It's my favorite thing to do with my husband and my child. And I think it's so important. You get to experience different cultures and new foods and adventures. So, and I know it can be really hard for people that might have injuries or disabilities, but I think that's where OTs can step in potentially. So yeah, I would just say traveling, love, love my leisure time, love traveling. What is something that you read recently that you want to share with the audience or you learned about recently? Okay, so... This one might be a little different, but I've just discovered a podcast called The Happiness Lab. And I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's so cool. It's basically 
um, going through the science of humans being happy and the research behind it and like what makes people happy, like certain, certain areas of their life that they could improve, um, maybe misconceptions you have about happiness. And I just think it's so mm-hmm fascinating and the girl that does it i cannot remember her name i'm so sorry if you're listening to this but um she tells it in a very unique way a very compelling way she gets stories from other people that are out there and then she drives it home with like evidence-backed research and it's just absolutely fascinating because we don't we all just want to be happy in life yeah and it's backed by research i'm all yes for it yes i just love it <laughs> And last, what is the big takeaway from today's episode in your own words? The big takeaway for today, I would say, is if you have a goal, you should absolutely go for it. There shouldn't be anything that hinders you or holds you back, although there will be at times. And you've got to just overcome those obstacles. But no matter what you want to do in life, whether it's, you know, getting a new degree or getting a promotion at a job or, you know, just revamping your home like you want to be a youtuber a famous tiktoker it doesn't matter just go for those goals you know baby steps it's all about baby steps and um even if you're nervous about it like don't let that hold you back because it could be something really great at the end of it yeah i love that baby steps and sticking with your goals it's like rome wasn't absolutely yeah so well thank you so much for being on the show kelsey and i wish you the best of luck in your studies and yeah thank you so much for having me jeff 